The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kirofano, welcome to episode 17 of the All Black Podcast, powered by SAP. And as we continue to reflect on the year, it's fantastic to have one of the busiest men in rugby, Chris Lindrum, head of professional rugby and performance. Did I get that right, Lindo? Did I get that title right? You did, mate. Well done, mate. Firstly, um, I'm trying to, you know, do my partial care for all the people that come into the studio at the moment. Have you got your Christmas list sorted? Have you created a bit of space over the holidays? Got a bit of a bit of a break lined up because I chat to you a little bit throughout the course of the year. You're a busy man, mate. So how are we looking? Yeah, no, I am busy. Uh, well, good to be here, first of all. Uh, Christmas list, mate. I, I tend to try to run the Christmas shopping sort of like a exam cramming session. <laughs> so leave it all very late. Good. Uh, nail it and hopefully get a pass mark based on a couple of days' work. You make a you make. Good decisions the first time around anyway, don't you? So I don't need to stew these things. Just go in, get it done and sorted. That's it. Less I'll stress. Look. Mate, and, and are we, you know, like so many Kiwis, is there a hot spot you go to, a place you go to for, for Christmas and New Year's every single year like we all do? Or do you like to change it up? I know you're a Wellington boy, but like where does um, the summer holidays take you? Yeah, well, this summer we'll spend a bit of time in Hawke's Bay. Oh, beautiful. Um, tend to move around a little bit. We have family in different locations, Taranaki, uh, Hawke's Bay, Christmas Day in Wellington this year, which is a yep. rare treat. Yep. Um, so it's been an incredibly busy year, oh. obviously, and uh, really looking forward to a break like many of us. Mate, it has been a busy year, and that's you know one thing I want to ask you is like it's been phenomenally busy, and, and we've got some of the things we're going to discuss, but it felt like sometimes when you'd put a schedule in place or a series of matches, whatever it may be, mm. that literally the next day you'd, you'd have to rip that up and start again. Like, have you been able, Have you been able to throughout the course of the year reflect a little bit, take a bit of break, take some breaks, create a bit of space. Because I know actually we have players in here all the time and a big part of, of what we do within the team, team environments now is actually try and look after that off-field stuff. You know, we see someone who's who's doing well off the field is going to be able to perform on the field. Like, mm. geez, are you guys doing that in HQ? Because you've literally seems like you've bounced from challenge to challenge to challenge this year. Have you been able to at times just in, get off the grid a little bit and reflect and, and come back into the next one? Yeah, look, it has been hard. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, not just this year, to be honest, but um, yeah. since mid-March 2020. Um, totally. So there's sort of a responsibility on all of us personally to deal with that for ourselves, I feel. Um, yep. This time of year coming up is normally a pretty good time where you can switch off, and I think because of the years that have been the last couple in rugby, there's really a, a sort of an unspoken acceptance across the industry that, you know, you don't contact people at this time of year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But otherwise, for me, mate, mental health-wise and, and well-being-wise, I just do some things yep. regularly um, to try to keep level, and that might be exercise. Um, I really got into back into reading through the COVID period, which has been great. Um, you obviously, try to look after your sleep and your nutrition and those sorts of things, and hopefully that, that yep. gets you through. But um, I'd be lying if I... If I said anything other than, you know, we've just been coping the last two and a half years yeah. to keep the heads above water and it takes a toll on, on uh, you know, all of us individually but also takes a, a bit of a toll on the whanau as well. 
100% great to hear that you're trying to do a few things to, to keep a bit of balance because I, I do know what a challenging couple of years it's been. Before we get into some of those things um, mm. that have been on the agenda over the last 12 months and longer, let's uh, fire into it with a, a few warm-ups, get to know Chris a little bit better. Mate, favourite All Black growing up and why? Oh, it's Michael Jones, uh. Sir Michael Jones. Um, and you get to do a little bit with them as well these days, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, I do. I mean, that's one of the benefits of working in a role like I do. You get to meet some of these legends. And Michael is a legend. Um, when I was growing up, you know, I thought he, he just had a, a level of grace as an athlete that nobody else had. And he was obviously totally fearsome on defence. But he had this amazing, beautiful intriguing personality that went with it you know he was a smiling assassin on Uh, the field Um, incredibly humble man off it and to be honest I'm really pleased to report that's exactly how I found him uh, to work with and um, he's obviously currently the chair of Moana Pacifica um, very passionate about that club and the advancement of Pacifica peoples Um, it's been amazing to have an opportunity to work with him and, and people like him Lindo, I know you're a very professional person, always organised, but, you know, sometimes you just have a little, you know, star moment and and ask, you know, Sir Michael about some of the heydays when you're watching or do you keep it, you know, all professional? Oh, I try to keep it professional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I'd be hopeless. Yeah. I'd be straight in there. No, look, I'd, I'd be lying if I hadn't um, talked to Michael a little bit at yeah. times about that. Um, and there's a, there's a few others. You know, I think it's... You've got to be a little bit disciplined as a somebody that hasn't played the game at a really high level. You know, you totally. can't be fanboying it all the time. But um, people respect you after a while, and it's okay to ask now and then totally. and get a little bit of insight. Mate, do you remember the first All Black match you went to? Did the old man take you along? Did the family go? Was it in Wellington? Like, talk us through it. Yeah, no, uh, the old man lived in Auckland when I was growing up, and he uh, took me to Eden Park all the time. So this is late 80s. Um, Brilliant era when the Auckland fans used to start off on the Eastern Terrace if they were on the terraces because that's the way Auckland was running towards to score tries <laughs> yeah. and then they'd move around to, to the uh, West, yeah. yeah right So because uh, they scored a lot of tries because they, they scored they? a lot of tries, yeah, they were an amazing team um, and uh, so my first test match was Eden Park, I was trying to remember the year this morning, um, it's either 89 or 90, Bledisloe yep. Cup test uh, around the time that uh, Buck got the heave ho, yes, and Zinni came in, yeah, uh, and the ABs had a win. But the I Phil re- Kern series was it when he said have a barbecue or uh, was it then? Yeah, it's around that time. It's yeah, either yeah. eighty nine or ninety. I just can't quite remember. But uh, yeah. twenty four twelve, I think there'll be some <laughs> train spotters yeah, yeah. around who'll be able to go and find the answer to that for me. Um, but yeah, always the expectation, full house, haka. You know, seeing yep. your heroes run around is always very, very special. Mate, love it. Best moment in the job so far, and that might be hard because, you know, you've mm. been at New Zealand Rugby a long time and, and there's been some challenges and there's probably been some real highlights. Is there anything that sticks out in the memory as being something that's, um, you know, a particularly special memory? Uh, for me, I always go back to 2015. Yep. Um, I was in a contracting role at that time and I had a lot to do with the team, the All Blacks. Um, it was an incredibly special team of athletes, yeah. team of good people, as as you know. Um, and being there at, at Twickenham when they won it all, you know, I think the greatest World Cup team there's ever been um, from any country, really. Uh, so there was that, but even this year, you know, you're right. I, I mean, I 
I work in a job where I get to have special moments all the time and they far outweigh the challenging moments. Um, you know, being in Fiji this year, watching the Drua try oh, to chase yeah. the Chiefs down in Lautoka <laughs> was, and it was unbelievable. Um, you know, I think there was about 10,000 people in the ground at the start of the day, but there were a few thousand more by the end. Um, and if the game had gone another couple of minutes, the Chiefs yeah. would have lost, you know. Um, and obviously what we've just been through with the Black Ferns is, um, uh, you know, I, I've got to stop using the word unbelievable. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but remarkable. Mate, we'll chat about that later because I know mm. you're so close to, to different parts of that. So so let's save that for later on. But when you're cruising into work, Lindo, what's on the Spotify playlist? We've all had our Spotify wrapped things emailed to us recently. Mine's, a, like many people, a great mix of old tunes, new tunes, and all my kids' tunes. What does yours look like? <laughs> yeah, you're like me. You haven't swapped the profile <laughs> no, out. Totally. So you've got all your daughters. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, mate, I'm a rock guy. Um, nice. You know, I'm in my early 40s. I'm... Uh, grunge rock and yeah. um, bit of old school, um, bit of alt rock. Uh, nice. It's me. It's not a. Um, <laughs> I keep a pretty tight perimeter around it. You know, I'm a. Yeah. I'm a. Hey, na- you like what you like, Lindo? That's fine. Look, I'm. I'm in my demographic. You know, I'm a Nati Pakiha. Um, I just. That's what I love. And lots of guitars, mate. That's me, mate. And is it? Is that when you got the running shoes on? Is it? That's. That's when you sort of tap into that sort of stuff and and. Put the put the playlist on repeat. Yeah, can be, can yeah. be for sure. Yeah, mate. Three guests that you'd have to dinner on what's on the menu. We ask this to so many of the players that come in here, but mm. who, if you could choose any three people to come along to your place, who would they be, and and what would be on the menu, brother? Yeah, no. Um, well, we're talking a long, long Italian meal, <laughs> bit of pasta, bit of gluten in there, mate. Um, Love it. I um I, I want somebody, uh, you know, inspirational leaders. Um, are definitely, you know, that's something that. I think a lot of us aspire to be when you're totally. in senior management or you're leading people. And um, for me, I'm a big Liverpool fan, so Jurgen Klopp. Oh, uh, there it is. Yeah, the man with a big smile and a yeah. thousand teeth. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, imagine, you know, um, going over the top with yeah. Jurgen. Yeah, he's just yeah. inspirational. Everything he says. Stories. Yeah. Yep. Um, just come off the back of reading Dave Grohl's book. Oh, Another wow. man wow. with a lot of stories. So yeah. Dave comes in. Um, won't be a formal setting. There'll be no suits and ties. But, yeah. Uh, and um, I do like my comedy as well. So um, Tina Fey. Oh, she's uh, outstanding. Plumped for you. Some yeah. really amusing um, sort of politically focused stuff, which I like as well. So Her Sarah Palin. Um, yeah, phenomenal. Is like comedy gold, isn't it? If That's people right. haven't seen it, look it up. It is absolutely outstanding. And one skit that she did, one of her most famous skits, was verbatim what Sarah Palin said. Um, so there you go, is a little tip for people out there. But, That's um, right. Mate, let's talk a little bit about rugby. Um, firstly, like heaps of stuff in the media at the moment around Super Rugby, OPEC and Pacific. Mm. Um, after a few stouches with our trans-Tasman mates, a bit of back and forth, which we love to have with them. It seems like we've settled in a good place. Like, Mate, where are we at? Because, you know, one thing that, and fingers crossed, touch wood, all that stuff... Um, we're able to do what is planned in 2023, and that has absolutely not been the case yep. for the last two years. Like I said to you at the start of the pod, it felt like every time I saw you, you had made a schedule and then had to tear it up and start again and, and go back to the negotiating table and, and deal with whatever the restrictions or regulations were of the time. So it sounds like, though, we've settled. Um, we're in a good place, and, and like you've hinted to, um, we've got some new teams involved as well. They're going to be mm. able to base themselves in Suva and base themselves in these new places. Where are we at? How's it all looking for next year? 
Yeah, well, you've summarised it really no, well. I did, I did probably... that thing where I answered my question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, really excited. We've got um, certainty around this competition now um, till 2030. Yeah. Um, so... I know it's been a while uh, for those people following those discussions uh, with the Aussies. Um, good things take time, you know, yeah, and totally. it's, it's been worth it. Um, really excited about, uh, yeah, running the competition and the way it was intended to be run next year because we haven't had that chance uh, to date. Um, you know, two new teams in this year that had very, very short runways to get ready for 2022. Um, They're going to be so much better um, in 2023 and they'll just get better as as we go on. Um, And a chance to really grow the competition from a fan's perspective. You know, I think if we're really self-critical about Super Rugby, it's been an amazing uh, competition from a high-performance perspective for, you know, its entire lifespan. But uh, we haven't collectively as rugby invested in the fan and we've probably taken the fan for granted a little bit. We've yeah. got a lot of catch-up work to do. People are very discerning these days. Um, we're all time poor, as as you know, um, so we've got a lot of effort to put in there and um, we're now ready to roll up our sleeves. We've got a definite product, um, great competition. You know, Everything's in regional time zones. If you want to watch all six games every weekend, as I know you will be, <laughs> uh, Roundy, then um, you can. Mate. So, yep, that's really exciting on the men's side. Um, and obviously on the women's side, it was even more disrupted um, totally. in the debut year of Opiki. Uh, so can't wait to get that back underway again. Mate, and also we've just had a period of time with the World Cup, which we'll talk about later on, where we've got to know a whole lot of players. And so yeah. you know, pretty quickly in the new year, we're going to be able to to get to know them even more, which is pretty exciting, isn't it? And like when you talk about you know, trying to flip it around a little bit and serve the fan a little bit better, has that just been that teams have worked in, in chambers a little bit in isolation and haven't perhaps worked together enough for the, the overall good of the competition? Or, or actually it's just getting people to... Um, like you say, have one of the priorities is, is our fans and our fan base and try and serve them a little bit better, just um, change the themes a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it's been anything too intentional. You know, nobody sets out saying we want to we want to cut the fans out, <laughs> yeah, you know. Totally. Um, but we're very focused on performance. And, yeah. and frankly, there's been some advantages to that. You know, at a national level or international level, we've performed really well. Actually, all the Sanzar countries have performed really well internationally in, in the lifetime of the competition. So we've done some good stuff uh, there, but we just haven't invested um, in, in, in bringing that competition to the fan. Uh, and we've got a lot of, you know, the world's best players play in this competition. In fact, you'd argue now they a lot of them also are going to play in Super Rugby Opiki. So um, there's more stories to unpack of those players as individuals and as teams that we can take to the public. Um, and you can see people want to engage and want to yeah. understand individual stories. And we've we've got great colour in the game in rugby in New Zealand. You know, it is a game for all New Zealanders. We get all types of people from all walks of life and background into our game. Um, and let's really show yeah. that, you know. 100%. Mate, as well in the media a little bit recently and a few things around this is the Sevens competition. Bit of change there. Mm. Um, Going to be a bit of a sign-off for Hamilton and hopefully that's a big one. But moving forward, what does that look like? Because it's the same thing a little bit as well. Huge disruption over the last couple of years and, and you know, got a few things out the door, but actually there's been no flow at all. 
to that series and, and it's been based around just those pinnacle events like Com Games, Olympic Games, World Cups, etc. What does it look like going forward? Um, because when done well um, and held up in lights, it's a great watch sevens. You know, it's something I really mm-hmm. enjoy tuning into to the Olympic tournament, to the Com Games, to those those big pinnacle ones like the World Cup. Hong Kong Sevens, I grew up with that, you know, like I was, that's that's the, the Lomus and the Christian Cullens and the Eric Rushes and the Cerebis and all that. Like I've such fond memories of that sort of stuff and I, and I know there's been a bit of work and energy gone back in to trying to to bring the game up again and hold it up in lights. What do we look like next year? Not just for our teams but for, for the global circuit. Yeah, well, it looks great. Um, great opening. Mm. Um, Love my Sevens. Yeah, no, look at... Uh, it's a good one to stop and pause on because we talk about the disruption that we've had in super and yeah, that's been really significant, costly, challenging, all of those things. But um, magnify that 10 times over for our sevens programs. <laughs> totally. right? like their whole business is travelling offshore and for the best part of two years, it was impossible basically yeah. to do that. Um, and how proud I was, we were, of our two Olympic programs that basically hadn't played any international sevens yeah. for 15, 18 months turned up at the Olympics, walked away with a gold and a very golden-tinged silver um, for, our, for the All Black Sevens, you know, and, and they've just had incredible challenges to work through. Um, so, yep, it is changing. Uh, World Rugby have announced they want to uh, change and reduce the number of tournaments. Uh, so from the end of 2023 onwards there'll be seven tournaments men's and women's doubled up at each tournament um, they're saying in seven iconic cities around the world really um, amping up that festival atmosphere which is you know you talk about Hong Kong and growing up with that well Hong Kong's always been an yeah. amazing festival of of rugby um, around the international event and, and so they want to replicate that sort of thing seven times over um, they believe at World Rugby that they can generate more revenue to reinvest yep. in the game, that they can bring more and younger fans into the game. Um, if they're right, that's fantastic. Yep. We'll all benefit from that. Obviously, um, for us, we've been told that we won't be able to host an event in New Zealand in this next cycle. Um, you, so you pitch that in, you say you can, you want to do it, but then they go through the process of saying, look, these are the where we're going to hold the seven? Yeah, absolutely. When we, We've got a fantastic track record of hosting sevens events in this okay. country and just rugby event delivery. We're really good at it in New Zealand. Yep. Um, and so we totally put our hands up. We also want our players and our fans, um, you know, here at home uh, to see it, to see those players. Um, but not to be, right? So um, we, we will find a way to make sure our fans can connect with our players and our players can fr- play in front of our fans um, in the next few years, it, it won't be in an official World Seven Series sure. tournament. We'll find another way, mate. That's you know when one door closes, another one's open, doesn't it? And that creates a huge amount of opportunities. The one thing that we're really fortunate with in this part of the world is there's some fantastic seven sides around us mm-hmm. in the Pacific, and and maybe we can go off and, and do something new and innovative um, and play in front of our crew, which will be awesome. I want to talk to you a little bit about because it relates very much to the last couple of things we just chatted about. Is like. COVID to a lot of us is in the rearview mirror, but to you, um, is it in your rearview mirror? Is it still a lot has to be? Does it still impact your your day to day work? Well, I've been saying to people the last few months that rugby in the events industry generally has got a case of long COVID because right. that's how it feels. Um, uh, it is. It's hard putting events on. Um, there's lots of 
longer-term consequential impacts that we're still working through, right? So if I, if I give you an example, um, every year we go to do a super rugby draw, right? Now, you sort of work out who can be where, when, but then you have to overlay stadium availability, right? Uh, yeah. So then the clubs will go back to their stadia that they have a relationship with and say, all right, Eden Park um, or Forsyth Bar Stadium, um, when, when can we have the ground or when's it blacked out because you've got other events there? Now, everybody's loading up on events and concerts and so forth because there hasn't been anything for the last totally. two years, right? So um, so then just even producing the draws challenging. Obviously, um, impact uh, that we're all facing now with inflation um, is massive. We've a lot of our businesses flying teams to and from different parts of the yeah, world. Yeah, so yeah. less flights, higher costs, all of that stuff putting pressure on our um, on our finances. Border settings, crowd settings. Yeah. Um, so, look at doing it's, the it's draw easy. sounds like a horrible job. Who, <laughs> what poor bugger has to do that? Well, yeah. I suppose it's the the competition organizer, is it? But my god, that sounds like a tough job. Yeah, we actually um, in some cases we go to mathematicians. <laughs> would you believe it? <laughs> I yeah. actually do believe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, they, and they love it. Yeah, um, which is great because nobody else wants to do it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, look, it's. Um, COVID has taken us to places uh, really that we never knew existed. Um, I've seen incredible resilience from the rugby community. We talked about our sevens programs. I just think about my staff, mate. Um, almost brings me to tears, to be honest. Uh, yeah. How professional, um, how resilient they've been. Um, their ability to keep taking the hits, you know, things that have been cancelled and, well, I'll just rip that up and go again. Um it's uh, it's remarkable, and people don't see that on the outside, no. you know. Um, incredibly lucky to be working with a, a really good crew of people at New Zealand Rugby, um, some fantastic professionals who just love the game, you know, and, and the love of the game gets you through those times. If you didn't love it, um, <laughs> these last two years would have weeded you out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and hopefully too, and, and this may or may not be the case, but like, like you say, you've literally been moving the deck chairs around Every week, like, um, is is maybe one of the great things about where we're at now. You actually can look forward. You actually can do some planning. You actually feel settled somewhat. Things like Silver Lake's done. Super Rugby's in there over there. You know, mm-hmm. like we know we've got a World Cup next year. We're going to that. The Sevens, like, okay, that's been sort of bubbling away in the background for two or three years. Changes to the Sevens programs. Mm-hmm. It's there now. Can we actually? look a month forward for once, Lindo, because it feels like um, that's not been the case for a very, very long time. And that might be pretty exciting for the staff who maybe want to get stuck into some new projects and put a few plans in place. Yeah, mate, well, I'm going to put both of my hands <laughs> on your wooden so, uh, table. Yeah, have you um, preempted anything there? Uh, look, it's exciting for everybody, right? I mean, those of us that have to roll with it on a day-to-day basis because that's our job, yeah, 100%, but... Um, it's taken a toll on the whole community, and uh, rugby's no different. Um, whether that's you know you're you're buying tickets to go and see your Super Rugby club, or you're going down to the local club, you know for your kids' footy or, or whatever it is. Um, there's no doubt that people are sort of yeah. exhaling a little bit and thinking maybe we're through the worst. Yeah. Um, don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just um, don't quite allow yourself. No, to, yeah. I, no you can't. You can't. Um, so. Uh, it'll be a bonus if that's how it works out. Um, Fingers crossed. Fingers mm. crossed. Let's talk a little bit about the All Blacks. Again, 
like COVID, like so many things over the last couple of years, turbulent. Like I think I think we're able to say it's been a turbulent year when you think about where we were in the Irish series, uh, coming through the course of um, the rugby championship into where we ended up at the end. Even even the last game was almost a, a definition for the year gone in terms of there was just so much good stuff in it, and then just a, a little bit at the end we weren't tr- able to get over the line and get a draw. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, but where are we at? Because the one thing I look at from the outside as a as a really passionate supporter is. Everything about the rugby environment is not settled in some regard. We're going upstairs every two seconds. There's cards. There's, mm. you know, um, how the game's been refereed. Differences between um, what we want in rugby between Northern Hemisphere and some of the Southern Hemisphere, even between Australia and New Zealand. But in terms of the All Blacks in the last couple of months, they seem somewhat settled. You know, settled in their in their coaching team, settled predominantly in the guys who are running out on a Saturday and and having a crack. Um, is that as someone who works really closely with the team, is that right? And also, what's coming up for us next year? Because next year's a big year. Yeah. Uh, well, you say turbulent. Yeah, it's, it's been the toughest year that I've ever seen in and around the All Blacks. Um, and I think you've got to start any conversation, from my perspective at least, you've got to start any conversation around the All Blacks with some empathy for... Uh, what the people in that program have been through in the last three years. You know, they spent a lot of time in hotels, behind closed doors, you know, 14 weeks away last year, tour like no other, Um, you know, playing France and Ireland at the end of a year, Um, tough games, great teams, Uh, and then this year getting squared up a little bit by Ireland and... Uh, and, and everybody who walks in the door of that team wants to do their part and, and, and do the team justice, right? So, you know, there's a lot written about the All Blacks yeah. and a lot said about the All Blacks and some of it at times can can border on the malicious and the really negative. And, I mean, the team's got to take that, but it, it's tough, right? And I, I think important to just ground ourselves in empathy about what they've been through. But where they are now, I think um, 100% they're in a better spot at the end of this year than they were when they started. Um, uh, they've made tweaks as they've gone. I think you know we're reminding ourselves that we do have some incredibly talented players in this team and um, when everything comes together, they can still create moments of electricity on a rugby field like no other team can. So um, massively proud still um, to be associated with that team, of course, um, like we all are. Uh, and, you know, showing some signs that they're going to be hard to beat um, going into next year. Next year's short runway, yep. five tests. Um, they'll go to Argentina off the back of Super Rugby Pacific final, uh, come home, uh, South Africa, a couple of tests against Australia. Then we play a warm-up fixture against South Africa. That's oh. an oxymoron, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no it's, such thing against the box. Yeah, um, you realise what you just said there? Yeah, yeah so uh, that's two weeks out from Rugby World Cup. They'll be at Twickenham. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so great opportunity for travelling fans and expats up there um, and just the rugby public to take in a Springboks All Blacks test at, at Twickenham. And then on to Paris. Into it, mate. Well, yeah. that's not much, a eh? Five tests, so Super Rugby Pacific becomes very, very important for guys ad- advancing um, their causes or, or just getting in, in good nick for those five internationals in the in the, yeah, the lead-up to the series. Jeez, that's going to be a cracker, isn't it? And the first game's against France, isn't it? So First game's <laughs> against France. There'll be heaps riding on it. I think if people have been watching the, the crowds at the start to France yeah. and, and those things over the last couple of years, it'll be... Uh, 
a mad, mad atmosphere. Um, players will relish it and uh, great test. Mm. Mate, as, as I sort of segue a little bit into the, the international landscape, I want to ask you a little bit about France because I, I assume that you deal with other countries, you know, different working committees and groups and all that sort of stuff that, that govern the global game. What are they getting right at the moment to give them, you know, give them their dues because they're playing bloody well and I know up north they, they got back on the horse a little bit quicker than we did down south and but, but we've all been playing footy for a while now and, and they're continuing mm. great form as they're you know, quite often we're looked to as, as you know, a country that leads in a lot of areas and, and people perhaps try and, you know, take the bits of gold that what's happening down here and take them back to their own programs and quite often that comes through our talent going out to the world and, you know, we've just seen Warren Gatlin go back in as coach of Wales and, and there's any number of, of um, good coaches and players throughout the world. But what are they getting right at the moment? Because I remember thinking for a long time, this is a massive rugby country, they love their rugby, but that doesn't always translate to what I see on the field, you know? Mm. They've invested heavily in their development pathway. Yeah. Uh, so prior to COVID, when we were still playing junior under-20 world championships, they had um, consistently improved and invested more and more in that pipeline. So uh, when, um, you know, you, you look at their group that they've got now, they've got a young group, yeah. um, particularly in key decision-making roles, 9-10, um, and and they're just really good players. Yeah, um, yeah totally. And uh, Fabian Golti seems to be getting the best out of them. You know, for there's been periods in all of our yeah. rugby history where the French have appeared to the outside observer to be a little bit dysfunctional. Um, not at the moment. They they've got a really clear understanding of. There's Sean Edwards in there as well, don't they? Yeah, Probably correct. brings a bit of steel and discipline and all that good stuff. A- absolutely. So they've they've just got a mix that's really working for them now. Um, They've got all the pressure of fronting up to a home World Cup, having never won a World Cup before. Um, you know, likewise the Irish, who have got an incredible development system. You know, I was just over there, had a few days in Dublin with the All Blacks 15, uh, got a chance to look around the Irish National Performance Centre, and they're doing so much right in terms yep. of centralised and aligned uh, high performance system. Um, but they go to the World Cup with monkeys on their back as well, you know. So everyone's got their own path that they've brought in there, and I think what we're about to see next year is the most even World Cup we've ever seen. Um, there's literally probably half a dozen teams that could um, mount a really strong case to win the tournament, um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully, uh, not determined by refereeing or off-field issues. Mate, hundred percent, it probably will be. Let's be honest, because that's just the way it is at the moment. But how do we have or, or what do we do within that space to have an effect on the global rugby landscape, whether it be rugby calendars, rugby competitions, rules? Because like you say, even though um, you know we're all playing the same game, sometimes we have different agendas or priorities or, or a view on on what is good, what is best. You know, like yeah. in terms of, you know, obviously it's very topical at the moment, red and yellow cards and how the game being officiated and playing time and all that sort of stuff. How do we weigh into that? How do we have influence on, on what we think might be the best way forward for the global game? Well, we start locally, right? So we we now co-own Super Rugby Pacific um, with Rugby Australia. So we're talking about men's 15s going into the World Cup. Uh, so we actually have an opportunity to say with our counterparts at Australia, with our players and our clubs, what's the game that we want to see at Super Rugby level, right? And I, a big focus for us, as I said, is around engaging our fan into that competition. So we want to see uh, a game that's sped up. There's not as much stoppages. There's not as much intervention. Um, you know, some of the 
uh, more marginal technical mm. um, sort of calls in the game from a match officiating perspective are sort of ironed out a little bit. Um, play can run, you know, because that's the way we like to see it played totally. In, totally. in the Southern Hemisphere, right? And it's the way our players are geared up to play. Um, at the international level, clearly we we don't own anything. No. We're, we're just one of many with a view. Um, and you know everybody knows that there's historically been a quite a different playing style played up north. That does seem to be the prevailing style that's played in the international game at the moment. So we, as a rugby nation, have had to adjust, and you're starting to see the All Blacks yeah, do totally. that. Um, so, you, you, of course, you go to World Rugby meetings. There was a big Shape of the Game uh, conference just after the end of the November series um, in, in London. Um, and you talk about all of these things. And, and some things get given more credence than others. And, um, you know, I, mean, I, I can imagine that for the casual observer, you sit there thinking, oh, what do they do up there? You know, does it really actually achieve anything? And um, no, Linda, that's not what I think at all. Right? <laughs> totally. Look, sometimes it is small things, um, and, and sometimes people people also don't know what a change will yeah. have as an effect across the rest of the game. So, um, leading into a World Cup, there's always a bit of tension about changing too much. Uh, hopefully, from 24 onwards, we're getting good global buy-in to this idea of speeding speeding the tempo of the game up. We're talking a little bit um, before we came in the studio around. You know, the things that get you out of bed in the morning and make you buy a ticket or turn on the TV are things that have a bit of meaning, you know, and sometimes, obviously, up north, it's the Six Nations, you know, World Cups, that sort of thing, you know, critical rugby championship games. You know, how is there plans or talk around how we create, you know, as much meaning we possibly can in June or July, as much meaning as we possibly can in November? You know, when we go up and, yeah, I mean, 100%, I'm going to get up and watch the All Blacks play England. But we're talking a little bit as well, like, some of the things that other sports have done well, we're talking about cricket, is like the World Test Championship actually is a bit of a game changer, to be honest, in terms of how I view Test cricket. And I'm actually keeping a little bit of an eye on that, how we're fearing not so good at the moment. I mean, New Zealand, England are, are going, you know, are starting, killing it. Killing it 100% with a bit of bears ball. And, and, you know, Australia and South Africa at the top of the table. I know this stuff. You know, there's a table. I know these things. And, and so is there that, um, even though we're just one stakeholder in the game, is, is there that... Um, sort of line of thought starting to come in because, you know, I like those concepts in other sports. Definitely. Uh, World Rugby has been working with Sansa, Six Nations countries around a Nations Championship concept where basically you take, take the July window, take the November window and try to create some real meaning out of that on a um, two-yearly basis. Yeah. Uh, and, because I think you're right, like, you know, the 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 test match championship point in cricket's a point well made. Um, I think everybody's looking for meaning mm. um, in, in, in those sorts of um, uh, the, those sorts of contests. Uh, so working hard on that, there's always a financial and commercial aspect yeah, around that. You know, one yeah, of the yeah. one of the um, challenging questions is okay. Well, how do you how do you run a finals weekend? Um, where who takes what revenue mm. and so forth, but. Um, there's a real intent to, whilst those questions are important and need to be ironed out um, fairly, uh, there's a real intent to not let those issues stand in the way of the whole, you know, because the whole is injecting more meaning uh, into Test Match Rugby outside of a World Cup. Uh, likewise, at the um, men's club level, talking about a global club championship where every four years 
Uh, you get the best of the north um, coming out of uh, Europe um, and the best of the south coming out of super, maybe Japan as well, coming together, playing each other for the first time, where you'll see best on best at club level, um, which hasn't you know, happened before. Yeah, no, um, totally. So there's a lot of focus uh, on driving more meaning into the game, and I think your, your reference to Silver Lake before, you know, you've got... Um, two big private equity houses involved in the game now with CVC in the north and, and Silver Lake here now. And, of course, they that's what they're going to yeah. be wanting to see as well. So um, definitely some, some reason for us all to, to dig in and, and, and on that. Mate, let's finish on the Black Ferns because, you know, what a yeah. year for the girls. And, and as I said um, in the last podcast with, with Joey and Kirsty, you know, we've all been exchanging our, our Black Fern stories and yeah. I've got a couple. And But I want to ask you, Lindo, have you got a couple? Because you've alluded to it a couple of times already in this interview. Um, you get to see a little bit more than most of us, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. And you were heavily involved from the review through to the to the, the girls lifting up the trophy, which if I asked you honestly, did you think they'd be able to do that? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you answer that question, but I, I think all of us, you know, were just blown away by what they were what they were able to achieve over that period of time. But, like, is there any little anecdotes or stories that, that perhaps the, the general public don't know that you were able to tap into through the course of that journey as well? Yeah. Um, uh, incredibly special uh, time, you know, memories that you'll, you'll take with you to the grave, actually, from this year. Um, it was a little bit of a rags-to-riches story. Um, you know, in the last 12, 24 months, Um uh, mate, there are a couple of things. So I was—I um, actually wasn't here for the final. So the way that um, our place works, Mark Robbo, yeah. um, my boss, was here in New Zealand. Um, he gets the sweet jobs, mate, and you get sent out on the road. Yeah, essentially, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't all bad. It was with the All Blacks and All Blacks Fifteen. You know, I yeah, can't yeah. complain. Um, and some nice cities and, and so forth. But after the year it had been. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to say for me, but you know how much the Black Ferns uh, this year has dominated my work plan and in in my weeks and months um, would have been amazing to be here for the final. So I ended up in a hotel room in Edinburgh, six thirty in the morning, um, watching the final and you know leaping out and giving it the double fists at the end. Um, and two thoughts went through my mind, mate. Um, to answer your question, uh, the first. Jonah Nan Wu won the line out yes. uh, at the end, right, to, to win the game. Against and the throw, yeah, 100%. Against the throw. And I, I vividly recall uh, standing on the wet sideline at Westlake Boys High School watching our girls train against the Westlake Boys High School first 15, wow. right? Um, which was sort of a, a little thing that was uh, semi under wraps, you know, yep. um, trying to. Um, you know, learn how to do some close quarters stuff, particularly for the Ford Pack against um, physically s- strong opposition, right? So we pitched, pitched the girls against a, a senior, really good first 15, and they really held their own. So I watched them that day um, learning how to uh, maul and defend the maul, um, and I think we saw massive improvement <laughs> in that through the year. And then I watched um, Mike Cron coaching the locks, how to contest opposition line-out ball. And um, at least in my mind, um, I have yeah. very clear recollections of Jonah being the best on that day. Yeah. Um, we've got some very talented players there. And remember her, you know, tipping balls yeah. away and to see that then yeah. come out at the end, that'll that'll stick there. Um, 
But mate, probably at a bigger level, yeah, you talked about the review and, and some of the tougher times um, that the people on that programme went through uh, at the start of the year, and it was tough. It's one of the toughest things I've seen in rugby, without a doubt. Um, the and everyone's, they're all good people, aren't they? But it just unfortunately in a high-performance environment, when you're under the spotlight, um, you know, there's some tough conversations and decisions need to be made, and that's that's the job. Really good way of putting it. Um, the human toll of that process was immense, you know, and everyone, even the people that stayed, you know, it was immense. Um, but I, you know, I get to do a lot of privileged things in my job, um, and I was there the day that uh, Smithy came in and introduced himself uh, to the team, and um, it was a real uh, hairs on the back of your neck moment because he talked about his deep connection with Laurie O'Reilly, who's one of the founding. Um, Founding people, you know, of women's rugby in, in New Zealand, you know, coached the Black Ferns early doors, Laurie O'Reilly Trophy that we yeah. play against, um, uh, against Australia, obviously named after him. And he talked about that connection and how he'd always promised Laurie he'd find a way to give back to the women's game, and you know, now he'd found it. And um, but then he moved on. If that wasn't enough, he, he talked really eloquently uh, about you know being one of the few people who'd coached a New Zealand team at a home World Cup and he said to the players, uh, well, all of us really, but particularly the players, um, you girls are going to run out on a sold-out Eden Park uh, in a World Cup final. It's going to change your lives forever. The Oracle. And um, <laughs> I was actually with him last Friday and I sort of said to him, Smithy, how much did you believe that really at the time? You know, But of course he did and... Um, uh, he might not have quite known the path that yeah. we were going to take to get there, but the belief that the players got, um, I think you know, people talk about his technical and tactical coaching. Um, they don't talk about his humanity, his teaching capability, um, his, his ability to connect to people. Um, you know, and that's that's part of what makes people like him so special. Um, we're incredibly fortunate to have somebody like that put their hand up. Um, in the moments that you get to to see people like that going about their business, you know, masters really, yeah, um, yeah incredibly special. So, mate, I mean, I could talk about the Black Ferns for hours and hours. I won't, but um, yeah, what a what a moment for the country. Uh, it was awesome, as you said. We've we've all got a story or two, and it was it was it was great to be involved in in all sorts of different ways. But there's, um, mate, let's talk about. Where to next for that then? You know, it's been, you know, to be honest, it doesn't get any better really than how it all unfolded there. And it's it's yourself, and it's Michelle Hooper, it's, um, you know, Smithy and the way he led that crew, and then and then the way the players went out and and channeled that energy and and sort of, um, bought into that vision was phenomenal. Where to now? What next? Like what's happening um, for these girls for our Wahine Tower in two thousand twenty three? Yeah, well, this is a moment, right? And we can't afford to lose it. Um, it's the future of our game, uh, and the the players, the program, the people that run the tournament have done such an amazing job this year. Um, it's just critical that we pick that up now and and run with it, and that's what we've got every intention of doing. Um, the key thing for the Black Ferns is to get a consistent schedule of matches together, um, and so we we talked about what's happening in the men's 15s from a global perspective. You know, international competitions of meaning. The same work's going on on the women's side. So next year, um, the hope is that we'll play Pacific Four again. That's Australia, USA, Canada, and uh, the Black Ferns. 
uh, will play Laurie O'Reilly again and through the pack four uh, tournament, we would hope to qualify for the top tier of what World Rugby is calling the WXV, Women's 15s, yeah. um, which will be the top six countries in the world playing against each other over three weekends, um, October, November. We're also hopeful of actually bringing that tournament to New Zealand. Oh, you beauty. Um, Put our hands so, up for that. Yeah, yeah that, correct. So we'd get to see our team up against um, probably France, England yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so from a performance perspective, critical we get that opposition. Um, from a fan's perspective, you know, imagine seeing more games like we've just yeah, seen, yeah. Um, more moments uh, like that. Um, so, so that's the sort of top level. But what we have to do, Rob, is... Um, make the women's game uh, sustainable from a performance perspective on an ongoing basis. And that means not just the Black Ferns. Right? We've actually got to build out the system underneath. So yep. that we've got great talent coming up through FPC and Sky Super Rugby Opiki. Uh, and we're developing coaches. Um, we're developing other team management. We're growing capability uh, in our community. And, and Because the, the women's system... You know, produced amazing results, but it is still quite fragile. Like it needs a lot of care, um, and and we now have to lead that. Um, so, really exciting opportunities. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, the World Cup has uncorked this world of possibilities for people. You know, we're talking about, you know, men are walking around in New Zealand freely talking about who they're favourite Black Ferns player is. Yeah, you know, Teresa Fitzpatrick. Yeah, hundred percent. Teresa Fitzpatrick. Uh, yep, yeah. no, good choice. Okay. Um, and. Like, how powerful is that, yeah. you know? Um, and and women are talking about it as well, you know? People are having watching parties. People have never watched rugby before. You know, there's astronomical viewership figures on TV3. Um, I gather around the semi-final and final. Um, so it's just, it's all right there, yeah. you know? And, and the good news is we've only got to wait another couple of months and we get vast majority of those players back on the field in uh, Sky Super Rugby Opiki. And then we're um, we're away again. Awesome, 100%. How good would it be to see in four, eight, 12 years' time a, a Kelly Brazier or a Kendra Kochkic or um, some of those girls are talking about getting into coaching at the moment, like yeah. starting to come through and, and filling in some of those positions and, and seeing that, like we see with the men's game, that generational stuff where a player then becomes a part of a coaching setup and administration Absolutely. and all the different roles there are to fill within rugby and fill it out. So how good would that be? Lindo, thank you so much. Um, a really good yarn. Great to get a bit more detail on sort of what goes on behind the scenes a little bit. Um, I know you're a busy man this week, got numerous board meetings to kind of wrap out the year, but please, please do take a break, create a bit of space over summer and, and recharge because, um, as you've just outlined there, it's a big year next year, brother, isn't it? Like, it's it's another big year, but um, hopefully uh, the best part of that is it's it's uninterrupted, it goes out as is, and we'll be able to fly into a, in some ways, an inaugural Super Rugby-specific season. Um, into a World Cup. How good? Yeah, mate. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Cheers, mate. The All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black be the best run in sports. Hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street Studio. Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. Video editing by Mac Leesberg, graphics by Western Design, content advising from Andy Burt, and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hove. Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts.